0: Today, I've got some good news and some bad news. I'm an optimist by nature, so I'll start with the good news. You can create really productive and valuable hybrid gatherings. Three folks in the office and a bunch of your team on Zoom. You've not had that experience, have you? A productive and valuable hybrid gathering. Truth? Me neither. I have a team of about 16, and we had this meeting with five of us here in the office and everyone else in their little tiny Zoom square. I had almost wished we'd all been on Zoom because it felt so weird, like really awkward. Not to mention that we were engaged in what was a difficult conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So I have been there too. And when I learned from my guest today that hybrid gatherings can actually work, she had me at hello. Here's the bad news, and I'm being a bit facetious. The way to get one hybrid meeting right is to plan for three meetings. Okay? I know, I know. You barely have time to plan for one. I see your head in your hands. Please don't hit pause. Stay with me. We all need to get this right. And Priya Parker, who is the author of one of my favorite books, The Art of Gathering, has, as she always does, very wise insights, and practical advice. Join us for a terrific conversation. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission, to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Priya Parker is a facilitator, strategic advisor, acclaimed author of The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters, and the executive producer and host of the New York Times podcast, Together Apart. Trained in the field of conflict resolution, Priya has spent 20 years guiding leaders and groups through complicated conversations about community, identity, and vision at moments of transition. She lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband and two kids. Priya, it is fabulous to see you again, and I'm so glad you
1: could join us. It is fabulous to be with you, Joan. It's always such a pleasure for me.
0: So let's have some fun and talk about hybrid gatherings.
1: So <laughs> everyone hits pause. <laughs>
0: so in 2018, oh, so many years ago, in the before times,
1: in the before you tackled,
0: times, yeah, in the before times, you tackled what is always a gnarly topic: meetings, how we meet, why meetings matter. I have referred dozens of clients to your book and its core tenets. It's been so helpful to so many people, but who knew, (laughs) who knew how valuable your voice would be as we move through a global pandemic when we simply could not meet in person? And now we have landed in the alien world called the hybrid universe. But before we get to hybrid, let me ask my favorite gathering guru a few questions about the depths of the pandemic. How did the pandemic shape your understanding of gatherings? What did you learn? Mm. It
1: made me realize that whether we are in-person meeting or online meeting that the core infrastructure and the core need was kind of the same. Mm. And when I remember back to everything shutting down, I don't know if you remember the, um, like the face-off between South by Southwest conference organizers and the town of Austin. It was sort of, at least in my mind and my world, it was that was like the biggest gathering that was debating whether to be canceled or not when it was sort of all falling down.
0: Mine was my eldest daughter's wedding. So I may have been Aww. more focused on the fact that her wedding was canceled than on South by Southwest, <laughs> but
1: do carry on. Yes, yes. <laughs> And I remember watching the standoff and this kind of amazing conversation happening and reckoning. And, you know, it was also a very traumatic conversation happening on Twitter, which was at some level debating the infrastructure of this gathering, right? Who's the host? Hmm. Is it the city of Austin? Is it the organizers? Who's responsible for canceling this thing? (laughs) Right. What is the purpose of this thing? Couldn't all of the independent films just launch online and we could, you know, live stream it and view it? Like, could we crowdsource to pull together for the artists that had spent their entire budget assuming for the year before, assuming that they'd make it all back by playing at South by? Right. All of these kind of core questions were being litigated on, you know, tweet by tweet. And I as I was watching this kind of all come tumbling down, I realized that the core questions that facilitators and team leaders and sociologists ask about gathering, all of a sudden are kind of being democratized. Oh, Everyone was starting to ask these questions. What is the purpose? Where should this happen? How many people should be part of it? Why are we doing this? What kind of technology do we need? And what was so interesting to me as a facilitator was that by taking gathering from us, Everyone began to see it.
0: Everyone began to see... When, when you say that, they began to
1: see what, Priya? They began to see that gatherings shape our life. Yes. They began to see that gatherings matter. They began to see that gatherings are how we wed, how we mourn, how we raise money, how we teach, how we litigate in court, how we graduate, how we celebrate, how we fight. Right? Right we began on when, when literally when this thing, when this social technology of coming together in person in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families was immediately, almost overnight taken from us. Yep. The majority of us, essential workers were still going in. We began to basically see that this is a social technology that we have taken for granted. Yep. And that we needed to kind of scramble to figure out how do we still connect? And if I... Was a if I at the time thought of myself as an in-person gathering expert, I would have had to just call it quits. Right. (sighs) I'm just gonna sit out the next two weeks to two years. But what I kind of realized was at the core of what I do is I'm a I'm a group facilitator, I'm an expert in group dynamics. And what I know how to do is how to help people meaningfully connect despite significant obstacles. Right. And wow. Is a pandemic a significant obstacle? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what the pandemic did for me was detangle, ironically, the form from the function and help Mm -hmm. me really ask and look at the group dynamics and not assume a specific form, particularly virtual or hybrid. I mean, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever facilitated a group experience on Zoom before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And overnight, my core work, I'm a still. I am still a group dialogue facilitator. My core job is still working within organizations, within communities, within political movements, facilitating complex group conversations. yep, and my all of my work moved on to Zoom, and I had to learn how to thoughtfully use the mute button. I had yeah. to realize that power dynamics in a group actually lie in the mute button, right? Mute all is this strange little button that actually disproportionately gives power to whoever holds the key to that thing. Completely, completely. And so I basically had to learn, like all of us, how to use a technology that wasn't created for the use case that we were now in. Yeah.
0: It's actually interesting. I run a fully virtual company and I did even in the before times. Mm. Like I have an office that I come to to do podcasts like this one. (laughs) <laughs> but there are people on my team I have never met. I have mm-hmm. clients that I coach that I have never met. But that was true bef- in the before times also. So I actually, but there are, and we do meetings. And it's been, it's actually been interesting because even in the before times, I would have team meetings and I would have to think quite intentionally about what is an engaging virtual meeting look like. Right. So, I had a little bit of a head start, but mm-hmm. I, also learned, I also learned how to connect with people one-on-one on Zoom because if somebody wanted to be coached by me and they lived in San Francisco, I live in New Jersey, right? And you either get me by Zoom or you don't get me. And so mm-hmm. I had to really work at making meaningful connection virtually. So, but for so many people, didn't even know what Zoom was. What did you learn or what did you hear from those, from your clients during that period of time? I mean, clearly so much frustration and so much sort of almost desperation. Was it like, we just can't meet? Like what, were people throwing up their hands or whether it was, was the hunger for connection so great that it trumped the, the frustration of the technology?
1: I think there were many phases and people experienced the pandemic and their challenges differently. Yeah. And so early on, I think I would say, and I'm kind of like talking aloud here. So don't hold me exactly to this. So let me yeah. riff a little bit. But I think early Please. on, part of I, I saw a couple of things happen. I think first, I, I don't know if you remember this New Yorker cartoon. I think it was a New Yorker cartoon. It was like a Viking sort of invading a country. And and he says to his colleague, I guess all of those meetings really could have been emails, <laughs> right? It was like, it was, the, you know, all of these meetings were canceled in these, in this one week. And like, people were kind of whispering, like, nothing much happened, right? Meaning like, oh, maybe we didn't need all of those meetings. And so there's one element that and I'm going to really stick to my lane, which is both gathering and the infrastructure of it, and yep. and also assume you know our entire lives were upended, and there was a moment of also deep trauma and terror and tragedy and, right? and fear. Yes. And from a gathering perspective, I would say early days, two things happened. One was the deck was cleared, and obligation kind of went out the window. Mm-hmm. And so there was this really interesting open space where managers and I mean, people in all walks of life, brides, grooms, had to basically ask, well, how do we do this now?
0: How do we do it now?
1: And that question creates so many possibilities. I mean, one of the biggest challenges I had before the pandemic to kind of, Un, sort of loosen up, gather fixed, really fixed stayed gathering cultures at companies that were really broken was just simply to get people to the point to ask, well, how might we do this another way, right? right. You couldn't even imagine how you might do something differently. So the first thing that I saw a lot of clients and organizations grappling with is just allowing that question. How do we yeah. do this now, right? It could be a nonprofit saying, our gala was 90% of the revenue that came in a year, right? Yeah. Do we do this on Zoom? right do we even do a gala do we just write an email like literally well and so what it forced was a core question was to ask well what is the actual need yeah when you throw out the form when you throw out what is our actual need and who needs to be there and that is a that is like step number 1 to having a better gathering
0: completely i mean it speaks right to exactly what your what your book was about is you actually have to define the purpose of the gathering. And once you're actually clear about that, then it becomes much clearer who gets invited to the gathering and what the gathering looks like and how it gets shaped, right? But up until the pandemic, I mean, this is what I saw, is that people met because they felt like they had to, or it's time for our annual gala. We do one every year, right? And that that core question didn't actually get posed because it is what we always do. And in fact, I actually think it is truly one of the treasures in the darkness of the pandemic is that doing things the way we always do does not allow for creativity, does not allow for innovation, does not allow for you to actually dig deep into different kinds of whys about things. And everyone had to look differently and more clearly at why gatherings actually mattered.
1: Why they matter and why do people need to be there? And when do people not, I mean, you mentioned your daughter's wedding at some level, there were brides. I remember early in the pandemic, I hosted this podcast that you mentioned together apart. And we, one of the episodes was on people basically deciding whether or not they should still get married. Yeah. And if so, in what form, and then who should be there and in some cases that meant they actually expanded their wedding from 20 guests to 200 because all of a sudden that wasn't, you know, 180 plates of salmon, right? It was it was a zoom connection. And then in other cases it it clarified for a couple that actually so much of the community felt like an obligation and what they wanted at the center was the two of them and they got married on the side of a cliff with a, you know, with one person officiating their wedding. But at the but the but the core question even around a wedding if you take it as sort of an archetype is why do you want other people there? Yeah. Right? It's It actually articulates the need of community. Oh, to witness. Yes. Oh, to bless. Oh, to celebrate. Oh, to rejoice. Oh, to see our shared and joint rituals bound in a new and fresh way in front of our community.
0: During the pandemic and the year or so that followed, I attended quite a number of shivas, Right. My wife Mm. and I are Jewish, and I found them strangely way more meaningful, right? Because you pay a Shiva call and you're there and it's you hug the person and you're present. But when you're on a Zoom call, silence didn't like people, everyone said something and everyone else heard it. And so you ended up getting this richer, deeper understanding of who this person was to everyone in the room, not just who that person was to you. There were a couple of them that, where I just, I, I had to sit by myself afterwards, realizing that I had just drawn a completely three-dimensional picture of someone I loved. And I thought of them this way and they were, they were so much more.
1: I love the example of a Shiva, virtual Shiva, memorial. I mean, so, so in part what's happening there, and, and you were talking about a virtual Shiva, is that the coordination mechanism of Zoom forces us to share language and space and time in a different way. We yes. literally can't yes. talk over each other. We can't, we actually lack a lot of agency on Zoom. We can't move our bodies, you know, around one another. But part of what it forces, if designed well, is a very different type of listening and a very different type of sharing. I remember I have a a monthly newsletter and I, this was actually one of my first newsletters during the pandemic. And it was about a friend of mine named Adam. And he, and every example I share, I have permission to share, he is also Jewish. And in his family, there was a tradition of a stone setting ceremony one year after the death mm-hmm. of, a, yep. of a beloved. And his grandmother had died before the pandemic. And in the height of the pandemic, it, it was, you know, it was time for the stone setting ceremony. And as he described it to me was, you know, he wanted to do it on Zoom and his father and uncle were kind of like, ah, that sounds really depressing. We're not going to do that on Zoom. Uh-huh. And Adam said, you know, I think I can, I think I can make it meaningful. Will you just, I can help you. And they said, you know what? You do it. So he sent an email out to actually more people than he would have otherwise, because people can attend via Zoom. He invited them each to think about a story they would like to share about granny, short and sweet, like her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not everyone, no obligation. And, you know, a few other, we invite you to have your cameras on and we just want to sit and remember her. So I, I called him afterwards, how to go? And he said, it was so beautiful. Yep. And people shared who weren't planning on sharing. I learned so much, just what you were saying, I learned so much more about this woman. In my mind, she was a grandmother, but she was also a elder. She was also a daughter. She was also a cousin. But another thing that happened, and I think this has happened in so many of our gatherings and in so many of our workplaces, was it democratized her memory. Talk more it about democratized that. the story of her memory mm-hmm. in the alternative universe of what they would have done it had it not been a global pandemic. Is that one person, a rabbi yes. or the eldest brother, would have given? I come from a Christian background, so I would say eulogy. I don't, would, yep. would have spoken about her memory. Yep. And because that was not possible, they literally shared. They distributed who could literally talk about her. And what that actually does is it shifts exactly what you were talking about in the Shiva. It shifts how we remember her. It shifts how we actually share who gets to tell the story in our family. Like these are pretty radical changes. This is big.
0: This is really big, big stuff, actually. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about where we are today. And there's a whole nother podcast, and I probably have it on my to-do list about motivating people to actually go back to the office, right? They're not just going to go because you asked them. I just, that's that's my yep. hint for today. So we're in a hybrid universe and it's a land we might actually stay in, might be our new land. Will this land, do you think, always lead people to say, well, that would have been a good meeting if we'd all been in person Oh you're asking me. <laughs> I am asking you. I thought you were asking your
1: listeners hypothetically.
0: No, I just will it always feel like it's the best we can do given the circumstances? It might. It might, right? And
1: and it might not. Mm-hmm. So, I think it depends on how intentionally we begin to actually think about which tools So there's two questions that are actually underneath these questions around hybrid and virtual. Okay. One is given the purpose of the gathering, given the needs, what is the best technology for that purpose? Then there's a second completely unrelated question, which is within the system or organization or team, how much agency and choice are we giving to individuals versus maintaining with the group? Mm -hmm. And those two things can be in conflict. So you may say, The need of this group is to build trust, and we have decided that when trust building is part of the purpose, we are better when we are in person. And then there may be a norm on the team that everybody gets to choose where they want to be when, and that's a larger value than hitting the need of the gathering, and so you may end up in a hybrid situation. And so each of these contexts are live, but I think that it is absolutely possible to create meaningful hybrid gatherings. I have experienced being a guest at really well-run hybrid gatherings. And I actually think that done well, done intentionally, and done with care, there are some gatherings that are actually as good, if not better, being hybrid because of who they can include and because of what the experiences are in the room and on the Zoom, if you will. That aren't actually the same right it is okay in a hybrid gathering for the people in the zoom and i'm using that sort of as an asterisk but the, yep. in, the people online to have a different experience than the people in the room mm-hmm. and both be good right interesting and so The hybrid land is one that is, it's like the wild, wild west of gatherings. And I think we're going to be here for a long time. So it's kind of like buckle up and get more and more skilled at in-person and online gathering. And then the interstitching, the, the, the thoughtful, choiceful interstitching of the two.
0: So that goes to how I made my listeners head explode at the beginning. Is that the idea that a hybrid meeting isn't two meetings, it's actually three. Right. And so what are the three meetings of which you speak?
1: So in every hybrid gathering, there's actually three gatherings. Hybrid gatherings are not one. There's three. The first is the people who are in the same room, in person. The second is the virtual experience, the people on the Zoom. And the third is the choice to stitch them together, to make them conscious of each other, to make them aware of one another and to think about the interstitching of that experience. So for example, you could have a concert, an in-person concert with a band and they're live streaming to thousands of people all over the world. Correct. You're not actually engaging in that technology, the audience members with the band. Mm -hmm. Unless... You choose a technology where somehow their type, whatever they're typing, is actually on the wall of the concert, or you have a technology where you can hear them clapping and it, you know, it, it reverberates into the stadium. That's a choice, and so at some level, hybrid gatherings are the decision about what is the experience of the people in the in the room, what is the experience of the people connecting virtually, and then how do you connect the two, and when do you need to
0: mm-hmm so it's sort of a there's in person there's online in some fashion and then there is the entire experience and how it is actually how it comes together as a as a single kind of entity that it right is is that unless not the you, entire you, no. experience
1: it, it's so I would almost think of it as there is the experience if I'm the digital guest if I'm a virtual guest so yep. so track one is I'm I'm just going to use Zoom for our purposes Microsoft yep. teams Google, whatever you use. I've logged in. I'm in a little square. You see my head and I'm seeing what's happening on the screen and maybe other participants and maybe a window where I'm seeing 12 people around a table. Track two is the people in the physical room. They've entered the building. They've gone through the hallway. They've entered this conference room. They have a group around them dy- navigating the dynamic of the other people around the table, what the jokes are, what the, you know, with almonds in the middle of the table, who's <laughs> kicking who under the table, right? There's this whole other thing going on there. And then they also are looking up at a screen where they see 12 colleagues, right? Or 20 colleagues. Right. That's right. number two. Number three is if and when the facilitators or the hosts are wanting those two groups to interact with each other. Yes. So what I, and and all I'm saying is that's a choice. There is a way you can have two simultaneous experiences and they're all listening to the same information. And then they, you know, someone's doing a town hall, there's a leader speaking and then The people on the virtual Zoom are debriefing on their Zoom and the people in the room are having a conversation in their room and never shall the two meet. Right. Right. And so the third experience is choosing whether or not there's actually call and response. There's interaction between the virtual and the in-person, between the the, the remote and the in-person. I I will also just say is, this is not, you were saying earlier, you were remote before the pandemic. Hybrid gatherings are also not new, right? right? Churches, houses of worship, synagogues have actually been doing hybrid streaming services for a very long time. Disabled communities, remote work, like there's some companies have been doing this for 20 years. But for most of us, this is now not only a fringe happenstance, it's kind of central to life. I mean, to at least to the working life. I now go, you know, there's studies recently about hybrid work and people coming back in the office, out of the office. When I go and work with leaders in a room. And I ask, you know, how many of you are fully back in person? Very few people raise their hands. How many right. of you are fully virtual? Maybe a third of the room raise their hands. How many of you are hybrid? And 95, in most rooms, 95% of the people are raising their hand. This is now central to work. Yep. Like getting hybrid gathering right is a central leadership skill of this moment. And I don't think it's going away.
0: Okay. So knowing that that's your position and I don't disagree, you actually have, and it's one of the things I really appreciate about you, is you have actual practical considerations people should be looking at and thinking about in order to do this well. And I believe that you have five of them that I, we could focus on because I do think so many people are hungry to get this right. They're so hungry to get it right, and. It seems that your superpower has come along at just the right time. So let's talk about the, you know, sort of the five tips that you have outlined that I read about in a, in a really terrific piece that you wrote about, you know, considerations for how to, how to make this work well.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment, but gathering well is not a superpower. It's a learnable skill. Good. And even i I, by the way, I still mess up. I flub up, you know, my virtual meetings, my virtual I'm it, gathering is a learnable skill and it's a practice to nurture, fair enough. and and it's also not rocket science. so so well, we're, but we're,
0: so let me okay. just say though, okay, it's not, but you have learned it very well, therefore, it is
1: thank you. Fabulous. Thank no you. further questions you may stand up <laughs> so the the piece that you're talking about is called the hybrid gathering guide and it's free and online you can get it on my website com. so the first step of all artful gatherings and the biggest mistake we make when we gather is we assume that the purpose is obvious and shared and when we move from planning an in-person gathering to a virtual gathering, first of all, we assume the purpose of the in-person gathering is the same as the purpose of the virtual gathering. And that's not always the case either. So the first step to having a more skilled, artful, hybrid gathering is to understand your purpose, is to understand your gathering's purpose. Yes. And to narrow in on your hybrid meeting's purpose, you can ask yourself very specific questions. First, why am I bringing this group of people together? What is the most important need for this group? Mm. Third, how might I design the experience to match the need? And then fourth, and this is really unique to hybrid, when do people need to be connected to each other? Yes. And when is it okay to have simultaneous experiences?
0: I just had this vision, just while you went through that. So I listened to my podcast at 1.5 and I, I believe that, a number of listeners just actually rewound and slowed down the speed so that they could catch that again.
1: Okay, carry on. <laughs> so do you want me to
0: expand on that or go to step no, two? No, I think I think that's I, I I think it's pretty it's pretty clear.
1: So second step. Hybrid gatherings need more than one host. They're multiple gatherings, and you need to assign or recruit a team of hosts. Mm. So As we said earlier, a hybrid meeting isn't one meeting, it's three, right? There's the in person, the people coming together in a shared room or space or concert hall. Two, there's an online community, presumably in a bunch of video boxes. And then the third is the interaction between those two groups. Okay. And each group experience, each of those gatherings is actually its own gathering to think through and design for. And so, very simply, assign a moderator or a host to each experience. And they're a team. So they should also be thinking about when they are connected, right? So for example, if you have a, I've seen this in a lot of companies recently, a town hall. Okay. And before the pandemic, you could basically predict the number of butts that would be in chairs, right? Mm-hmm. You have 200 chairs, you have 2000 chairs, unless maybe people would be on a sick day. But basically like there wasn't much variability. Now in, for in a lot of workplaces, People don't know which day people are coming in on. Someone's going to sign up for the town hall or for the brown bag speaker series, whatever it is. And you don't actually know. Often the guests don't know, am I going to be in work that day or am I going to be at home that day? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that happens is you may have 500 chairs set up and there's 20 people in the room, but there's 500 people on the Zoom Mm -hmm. and it just feels really clunky. So in that context, a couple of things. One is always have less chairs. This may sound counterintuitive. Always have less chairs. Than you think you'll need, because what you want to create is a sense of demand and density. And yeah. you can always add more chairs, totally, but the second thing is to really think about if you want a connected town hall and people on the Zoom, you're asking, you know, say there's, I'm making this up. So you have fifteen minutes at the end of your town hall to to get questions from from employees. And a bunch of folks are are you know dropping their questions into the zoom a decision point is whether or not there's a screen in the room that's live showing their chat. Yeah. That's managing the third experience, right? That's managing the interstitching versus one person, the host in the room looking at their iPad and reading the questions off. Right. Then that that's still a little bit of connection because the content is coming through, but it's a it's it's turning up the volume. That third track, if you will, of the CD of yeah. that connected space where we psychologically remember, oh, there are five hundred people here, not just not just twenty. Yes,
0: yes. So a quick question for you about the team of hosts. So there's a host online, there's a host in the room. Where does a facilitator come in? So you're right. This is what one of the things that you do, right? So I would think that a retreat would be, you know, a board retreat or a staff retreat would be difficult to do in a hybrid setting. Where does a facilitator fit in
1: with hosts? So I define a host as anybody who takes some amount of spiritual responsibility for the group to achieve its purpose at that gathering. Okay. And so that could be the formal head of the board that could be it it can actually at some level be anybody in the room okay a facilitator how i'm defining it small f is somebody who in the actual moment is responsible for in some ways designing shaping the interactions of the people live. yes So I just want to make that distinction. I I have a digital course in which we actually spend a lot of time thinking about what's the difference difference between a host, a facilitator, and a designer of a gathering? And can you be all? The answer is yes, but it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) So long story short, if you have a hybrid gathering and it's high stakes, I would assign a facilitator to both rooms as well. There's somebody thinking about the interaction and monitoring. Monitoring is the wrong word. Thinking about the interaction of the Zoom and there's somebody that's that's kind of running the meeting of the room. And this is when it starts to really think about what are the needs of this group, right? right? And so some of this is technological needs. Is there live transcription? Is there there ASL? If there's ASL, you know, where are they? Are they on the Zoom and everyone can see them? Like, this is when you actually have to just start thinking, what is the need? And then how do we logistically make this happen? But then on top of that, it's starting to think about, well, what's the conversation that we need to have and how do we ha- how people have it? So I'll give a simple example. Please. I know a head of a, of a media company who was convening his first board meeting in seven quarters.
0: Okay.
1: And nine of the 12 board members could make it in person, three couldn't. And the beginning of the meeting, he wanted to figure out how to make the people in the room not forget the three people on the zoom without them all just logging onto their zoom right that then collapses all of the the benefit of all of these people flying in and actually not having to be on mute all right <laughs> and so what i advise them to do is in the you know often use how do you start a, how do you start a meeting start it with purpose number 2 connect people give them context for why they're there why they're each there then you know set the terms in that connection moment I told him to, instead of having the people on the Zoom talk to each other and do an icebreaker or talk about their goals, and then the people in the room, I said, that's a good, that's a moment where the interstitching is worth the logistics of it. Okay. So he had 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, the people in the room took out their cell phone or their computer and joined a breakout room with someone on the Zoom and answered the icebreakers together. I see. And talked about their purpose. And at some level, the people in the room became kind of like the spiritual hosts, the representatives, not formally, right? But in my mind, I have now spent seven minutes with somebody. They've told me their needs. And I'm at some level, like carrying them with me. Once I've also closed my laptop, I'm back in the room. And so when I say, when I talk, and it's worth getting the phones out, getting the, you know, getting the computer out, all of the interstitching is logistically complicated, but that doesn't mean it's never worth it, but you need to make the risk worth the gift.
0: And you also, I mean, there's such intentionality about what you're saying here, right? I use this word quite a lot, that leadership is intentional, that it just requires, and, and, and I know my listeners are sitting here going, I don't, I don't have time to be intentional. Like I like I've heard that. Like no, you ha- you don't you don't have time, don't have time not, not to. to be. Yeah, you don't Absolutely. have time not to be.
1: I mean, so, mo- particularly in this moment, so much of breakdown is feeling is low trust, feeling excluded and particularly for people who are in remote feeling like they're just kind of missing a lot of signals. Completely. And so it's like if you say, again if we just stick with what a board meeting or a leadership retreat or an offsite, say there's majority people are in person and there's some people who have chosen for whatever reason to be remote. And what do you do during the informal time? What do you do during the evening of toasts? Right. Are they sitting and watching it? if I had a different CEO who had planned a really high stakes board meeting and they were going to do dinner the night before, and there was three people, three really important meeting people to the context of the meeting the next day. And I said, well, what are you going to do about them for the dinner? And she, and she said, Oh, well, it's going to be an allowed restaurant. They're going to, they're not going to hear anyway. And I said, don't do it in a loud restaurant. Right. The entire group is going to create formation that evening there's going to be, that's the warmth, that's the context, that's the, and so they ended up actually hosting it in a private room. And I, I think what they did was, you know, and it's clunky and people, you know, you can kind sort of rolling your eyes and you can, you may have to kind of pull teeth a little bit to do it. They sent them, like they each sent them the equivalent of those meals from those restaurants in those cities. They showed them that they cared. yes They showed them that they had a specific experience. They sent them silverware, right? It, it, it doesn't matter at some level, what you what the what the form is, you're showing that you're caring. Right. And like the next day it's a fundamentally different experience because right. they heard the conversation. You're creating toasts so that everyone, it's like your Shiva example, so that everyone can actually hear the story rather yeah. than just the den of noise and feeling even more excluded, right? The FOMO of the remote like, worker is is real. And so how do you think about given the stakes and it's not every meeting and it's not every single workshop, but for your higher stakes gatherings to design intentionally the connection that you're hoping for. And this is just another layer of complexity, but actually it's all the same work. It's starting by asking what is the need? And then given our technologies, how do we actually create a form that makes sense and increases the likelihood that we can address that need?
0: Right. So the tips were... Understand your purpose, always. You had recruit a team of hosts, which I think is a which is a new thing for some people who are listening. The third one, as I recall, is identifying moments of connection and moments of independence. You want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, some of it's been implicit in your, some of your examples.
1: So again, based on the purpose of the meeting, decide if and when the two rooms need to be stitched together. Yep. So very simply... Even in that last example of a room of a dinner, you may realize, you know what, it is too much of a headache to get everybody. We can't, we can't do that. We have to have the in-person group in the restaurant, but maybe you have a really beautiful remote dinner. That's a separate synchronistic experience for the people who are coming in, you know, coming in, or maybe they all sync, watch a live opera. I'm making this up. But, But again, like the assumption is they don't have to have the same experience because often there was this wonderful quote by a digital ethnographer early in the pandemic and he called it he used this beautiful term digital dysmorphia <laughs> and what he meant by that was the sad attempt of recreating what you would do in person on online and mm-hmm. and uh, instead of pausing and asking the need of like, this is where we are, what would actually make this space awesome? And the example that he used, it was early in the pandemic, one of my favorite tweets of the whole pandemic was he described this digital, this underground party yeah. hosted by a bunch of party planners out of work, like sitting in their self-described, sitting in their parents' basement. And they hosted this 12 hour digital party. It was called the, the Bodyssey. And someone tweeted having to go to that party, having gone to that party, I had a digitally native experience last night. I entered the quote unquote hot tub room on the Zoom. I entered the hot tub room and all the guests, I'm not suggesting you do this at your leadership retreat. This is a party, but I'm giving the example so you can learn from the inside. All of the guests were in their own bathtubs. That's so awesome. <laughs> And that that's like it's like the opposite of the digital dysmorphia is thinking, OK, we're all going to sit and stare each other and the eyes in the same way that you would around a table. It just may not work in the same way. Actually thinking about what is the need? OK, the need is joy. The need is celebration. The need is humor. That may be a very different form for a digital experience. And there are trade offs to having different experiences with these different groups. But these are, people often ask like, you're a conflict resolution facilitator and you talk about gatherings? Gatherings are full of trade-offs. They're full of political decisions, small p-political. They're full of line drawing. And, and at some level, it's like saying, wake up a little bit and saying, these gatherings right now, as always, are culture building moments. Right. So use them well. And the stakes have actually increased because- for people who are not in person, these are, these are the moments we have. We don't actually have the hallways you're moving through or the lunch lines you're standing in. And so at some level, like it's too expensive not to be intentional because this is kind of the experience of work now for a lot of people.
0: Completely. So your your fourth tip, as I recall, is something about ratios, thinking about ratios. Is that the the issue of the chairs that you were talking about. And so just g- give me a, a brief thing on that and, let us, and we'll move on to the fifth one.
1: You've done your homework. So step four, think about your ratios. What that means is you may make different choices. If one person is on a Zoom, is, is in person, Is sorry, is virtual, and the other 12 colleagues are, can all be in the room, that's a very different experience and trade-off than if you have half and half, Yep. right? In fact, yep. if one person's on online and everyone else is in person, you may not even need to have two hosts, right? All I'm saying is ratios matter. And so if the majority of people, I do a digital workshop and we say, my team and I often say, make sure everybody in your company is logging in through their own device. Mm. and every single time we've done this, there is always one little square I can see. My team now knows, like, don't show Priya the square. There's always one little square, at least, of, like, three people who are really excited to be in the office together. They're all taking the same art of gathering digital training, and they're there, and I'm thinking, oh, no, because basically there's 29 people on the digital experience, and then there's this one other small group Of this simultaneous experience. They're dealing with their own dynamics. Yes. Right. They're often not the ones answering questions. Everyone else is aware of them and they're thinking, oh, I'm not part of that group. I wonder what they're laughing about. I can't see their names. Right. It seems kind of simple. Or even if they put their names in, it's three names instead of one. It shifts the dynamic in a way that is actually detrimental to the purpose of the group. And so sometimes I advise clients, like, if you have. 80% of the people on the in in virtual, I actually there's benefit to just making a streamlined experience because as you can hear from this conversation, there's labor in making hybrid good. And so you'd I'd rather you have an excellent virtual meeting than a bad hybrid one.
0: Totally, totally. Okay. So we've got understand your purpose, recruit hosts for each of the two gatherings, identify moments when it makes sense for you to be connected and when it doesn't make sense think about your ratios, and then we're not supposed to skip the niceties.
1: Step five, don't skip the niceties. So often in in-person meetings, before and after those meetings are actually often moments of like independent connection. Yep. People yep. linger in doorways and hallways. There's sort of the, the magic of that casual interaction. Studies yep. show there was a study at the Stanford Design Lab years ago that showed people are more likely to linger in doorways much longer than they would in any other space in the room. And 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 in gatherings and and in teams, that's often where the warmth and the trust often, you know, happens. And online spaces don't have any physical doorways, right? Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of log off and you go, you know, feed your cat. <laughs> and so to think about how to design for hybrid social time. And it can be super simple. It can be just for the first five Minutes when you're first starting the meeting to pop to have people pop into the chat. Like, what was your first concert yes. you attended, and who'd you go with? Yeah, right. Think about everyone else is milling around. What are you doing to just like allow for, given the technology, people to start warming up together? And it's going to look different. The second thing, I was at a meeting at a hybrid meeting for a, a board of directors last summer, and it was they were nervous about it, it was their first one. And there was maybe 20, no, it wasn't that big, 15 people in the room and eight people on the Zoom. And all of the people in the room were kind of mingling and excited to see each other. People in the Zoom were sort of chatting. And then the head of the meeting, the chair, walked over, not rocket science, walked over, looked into the camera, and waved at the Zoom guests. And it was like, not, you know, it changed everything. And then everyone else said, oh we can go say hi to them too. Right. They right. Felt, it was like breaking the fourth seen. wall. They felt seen. Yeah, And they so were. part of that, exactly. And so, you know, groups warm up together. They then have an experience together and they cool off together. And particularly in virtual and then in hybrid gatherings to really pay attention to how you want to design that informal time. One of one of my favorite examples is from the group Creative Mornings. And they they're this now global gathering community where before the pandemic they would meet in cities all over the world one Friday morning in person at like an iconic location in the city and this is everywhere from Port-au-Prince, Haiti to New York City to New Delhi it's all over the world. Okay. Pandemic hits, they go online like everyone else, and they realize, unlike everyone else, that some of the secret sauce of their gatherings, their the the funk the their. Their, the creative morning experience is usually a speaker they kind of they draw creatives I'm saying that in quote to come see a speaker okay. and they realize that the secret sauce of their gatherings is not the speaker mm. it's their coffee line oh it's the moment before everything starts where yeah. people are hanging around. They have the social permission to talk to the person next to them. They may start, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, I just moved to the city. Wow, interesting. So what do you have to Actually, I need a job. Well, interesting. We're actually hiring. Hey, Mm -hmm. you want to come sit with us, right? It's that informal, informal time. And so creative mornings, you know, a lot of them are designers, very brilliant people and very thoughtful people. And and so at the beginning of their first virtual creative mornings, which by the way, was global because everyone could attend and and they just collapsed it. And I was on it. I saw this. I saw them do this. They created virtual coffee lines. And all that meant was they put people into breakout rooms. Right. And called them coffee lines. called
0: them coffee lines.
1: And invited them to bring a cup of coffee or cup of tea, show their pet. They had three questions, icebreakers, if if people wanted to use an icebreaker or you could just shoot the shit. People came back five minutes later. It was a completely different group.
0: Yep. Yep. I actually I believe that's another lesson from online sort of the world online is you have to warm up your Zoom, you know. So I don't I don't have the luxury of having my team of 16 people all in the same place. So yes. when I have my monthly team meetings, it's a it's non-negotiable that we do that do something to warm up or get something to get everyone talking. Now, that isn't always the case if you have a bigger group, right? <clears throat> but, you know, tell me about one member of our nonprofit leadership lab that you learned about this week and what really, what, what gave you goosebumps when you learned about what their, the mission of their organization, right? Exactly. And boom, the room is together.
1: Absolutely. The, the biggest thing I learned during navigating virtual gatherings in the pandemic is that the art of virtual hosting is the creation of psychological togetherness.
0: I think that might actually be a very good way to close out a highly actionable conversation because we are just about out of time. And yeah, I think you should make note of that one. It's a, that's a, that is really powerful. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. Before we leave, I want you to talk about a little bit about your digital workshop, how people can find it. And I wondered if, do you have another book in you? So I have those two questions
1: and then I'll (laughs) I'll let you go. So I will start with the former question, which is an easier one. We have recently launched an Art of Gathering digital course. I'm so excited about it. We, one of the things I most wanted to do in the pandemic and before was to help people practically, practically take a gathering, an upcoming gathering that you're nervous about. It can be at work or not. It can be a wedding. It can be a friend's baby shower. It can be your board meeting and be a leadership offsite and take it, come to this virtual course. It's a six-week online course. You can take it whenever you want, anytime a day in cohorts or alone and basically walk through many of the steps we talked through today. But case studies and exercises to reimagine this gathering, so that at the end of this six-week course, you come out with an artful gathering that nice. is intentional, and that by doing this, by making it super practical, you're actually learning the skills that will apply to every other gathering in your life.
0: Fantastic. How does anyone listening find out about that at PriyaParker.com?
1: Priaparker.com. You can head over there. Also, a lot of our conversation today is in my hybrid guide, which you can also get on Priaparker.com. And if you go to Priaparker.com slash, I think it's course, I should know this. You can find out all of the information about the digital course. We also allow for cohort signups. A lot of companies and teams are doing it together in part to use it as a form of Culture change. You can do it up to twelve people at a time, and then if you want to do it more than that, just send us an email. But it's a it's a way to basically create and share common language and start realizing, you know, even if it's a joke. Hey, hey, Joan, did that last meeting have a purpose? Ha 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 ha! Right. Culture change is actually the introduction of new language, new taboos, new norms, breaking of new taboos, and the single simplest way to shift your gathering culture at work is to change that taboo around people getting to ask, what is the purpose of this meeting?
0: So maybe the digital workshop is, is your next book, but that? I wonder if you've learned <laughs> so much. I, you know, oh
1: yes. I- my book, I, I am, I am working on the next book and it is, it's kind of double clicking on, on, on the conflict and heat side of my, of my practice.
0: Oh, Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I, I look forward to actually, when you're ready, you'll come back and they'll talk about that because I am a certified mediator and, and, oh. and an executive coach. And I find that my mediation skills are probably some the the, the best arrows I have in my quiver often. Just so.
1: I mean, fent- one of the other best arrows you have in your quiver is the heart of hosting and gathering. I mean, this podcast is a gathering. We We can't see or hear your guests, but I always love coming on your podcast and your show because you are so thoughtful about what you ask. You're specific. You knew what the purpose of this conversation was. I you did. model intentionality. Like you are an amazing host.
0: Well, thank you. That's really sweet. I of you. love I being hear. your guest. Well, that's good to know. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. I also should say to listeners in the world of hybrid, you are listening to us, but we are looking at each other on Zoom. So we are actually seeing one another and talking to one another. Like that's part of why I started to do my podcast using Zoom video because I wanted to see the person I was talking to, their facial expressions, when they were pausing, right? And so if this podcast feels authentic, like two people sitting around talking, it's because two people are sitting around talking. <laughs> <laughs> and these two people—that's a choice. Have, that's it. And and I think a good one. So these two people are going to stop talking and go back to work and we're going to let you go back to work. Thank you very much, Priya. I appreciate your time and your insights. And I know I speak for everybody who's listening that this is, you're helping people untangle a big, a big knot. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for us
0: for today. As always, thank you so much for the work that you do and please take good care of yourself and we'll see you next time. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.